Hi, I'm Kristen. I'm a social self-prez 911963. Hi, I'm Kaisa. I'm a sexual social 918 with the 3 and 5 fixes. Hi, I'm Sammy. I'm a self-prez social 911 with 514 and 413 fixes. So what did you guys think about the story? And uh, Kaisa, you said you really liked it. Sammy, did you read it? Did you do your homework? God damn it, Sammy! So sorry. <laughs> I was going to read it before the call. Um, but then I was writing down a dream and then I, like the time slipped by. Uh, so I thought that like, we would do like a spark notes version <laughs> on the call today yeah i mean yeah we I'm can because it's I'm your sorry. dream anyway so well, i mean we kind of anyway need to explain what it's about yeah right exactly that's what i was like i'll be here anyways to like yeah hear, hear your summary some can play some can play the watson like with holmes and watson there always needs to be someone to ask a dumb, dumb questions <laughs> otherwise the whole story wouldn't make sense Exactly. That's my role on this podcast. I'm the one who shows up. I'm the everyman. I'm the yeah. one who's like not knowing what's going on. So I have to be the one to like ask the questions and can you explain that? And I'm learning. I'm learning with the audience. <laughs> That's I, totally fine. Well, and I didn't, I, yeah, the files got messed up when I was uploading it. So oh, it's fine to me. Now, yeah, now I figured it out because it was oh. like iPhones formatting is just dumb. But anyway, I thought, um, okay, one of the things I was thinking because I was like listening back to some, like, it's just a thought I had when I was listening to podcasts before um, that I think you should like just read the dream, like rather than uh, describing it from memory kind of thing. Okay. Like, whatever you have written down, just, like, read through that. Um, I had the idea because of <laughs> of listening to Maggie's episode that I'm like, oh, God, I should have just had her read it because it's like <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she took control and it was like, I have no idea if, like, she actually explained the, like... I, th I think you people get an emotional impact through just reading the writing of a dream instead of mm. like someone trying to because she was trying to like get rid of aspects that were actually really important so anyway yeah that's okay. like she bypassed everything social in that yes and like that's what oh, yeah. some you do as well you just oh, describe man. the self-breast <laughs> but like yeah everyone does that with their dreams mm-hmm they try to explain from memory yeah yeah okay yeah i it's like a whole mini novel so that's really <laughs> fun it's story time all right this was a so fun movie, though yeah all right all right so here's the dream okay uh detectives um and then the characters in the dream um who were not the detectives a young woman and two men Uh, one of the men is, like, mentally challenged. Uh, the young woman and the other 
non-mentally challenged man are sleeping together. They have a sexual relationship. And one day the two men decide to rob a restaurant very late at night when it's closed. Um, the mentally challenged man takes a bunch of knives and starts smashing the windows, breaking them. He was not supposed to do this and did it out of some extreme anger he couldn't stop or control. The other man is freaking out, telling him they have to get out of there. It's all about dodging the knives and shattered glass, making sure to get out of there unharmed while knowing you were involved in something incredibly destructive. We cut to another scene where after the robbery has taken place, the detectives are asking the young woman about her involvement with the two men. I don't remember the exact nature of how she met them, but they're either friends or some type of sleazy, illegal business partner. Um, and the young woman has been sleeping with the non-mentally challenged man on and off for some time. I don't remember exactly how long, um, but she's constantly lighting cigarettes for him and then smoking them uh, before he takes them from her mouth. And they always burn her tongue and she feels pain, but she doesn't care or mind. She just feels tied to the group, the two men, due to her sexual relationship with the man. And the young woman is like very seductive and attractive. And I remember one scene where uh, she's walking down some stairs to get off the subway with the two men. And there's like another group of men walking behind them. And she gives like one of them a boner just by touching their arm and like looking at them and smiling. And so she knows that she's attractive, but she also is pretty messy to be involved with these two uh, criminals who just cause chaos wherever they go. And it's mostly the mentally challenged man getting them into trouble while the other man tries to clean up the mess while simultaneously dealing with his relationship with the young woman, which is very complex. Um, in the final scene, we see the detectives and the group at an abandoned church and there's stained glass windows, the sun is starting to rise, they've all been talking and questioning the group all night. Um, something then happens eventually where one of the detective's guns go off, and I remember the bullet just flying through the air, hitting things, and it never landed anywhere until it hits the challenged guy in the neck. Um, so now he's laying on the ground dying, and the young woman can't even bear to look at him, and she feels love for him, even though he caused a lot of the chaos and the destruction. And I remember a brief scene now where the young woman was showing kindness to the challenged man and he tried like kissing her and she couldn't like get away. Um, so then the other guy uh, had to intervene and separate them. But she was always concerned for the challenged man and now seeing him die was too much to bear uh, because his recklessness combined with his diminished mental capacity eventually cost him his life. So now the dying challenged man whispers some final words to the other guy who's telling him, you know, it'll be okay, even though he knows that he's dying and he's genuinely grieving the loss of his friend. Uh, the whisper is something about remembering, but I don't recall exactly what it was. Um, maybe something about remembering who you are or where you came from. And that's where the dream ends. So throughout the dream, with the exception of the ending, there's a general sense of lawlessness, uh, sleazy business endeavors, illegal actions, seduction, feeling entangled in something you know is wrong, yet your loyalty to people based on your emotions tells you to stick with it. And there's like a real feeling of deviance and a sense that everything is under attack. Um, for example, when the young woman is being questioned by the detectives, she just tells all 
um, because she has no direct involvement with the two men's crimes. She just tells the details of her relationship with the one man with a very nonchalant attitude. Like she didn't care if the man got in trouble or not. Um, she feels that even just by being with him, like by just having sex with him, that she's given up on some aspect of her life. And so it doesn't matter uh, if her scathing details into their lives would, uh, you know, make them guilty of a crime or not. She was just resigned, but she also wanted her name out of it. Um, and despite all of that, her attraction to the man never waned. She still desired him and found herself back with him. So it's like sexual compatibility versus like moral judgment. But yeah, that's the dream. Mm. I love this. I love this dream. It's like mm-hmm. so like theatrical. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to say before we start, like, breaking down the different aspects of the dream and where we came. Um, I mean, at least like when I read it, I just had this like immediate uh, reminder of the story of Hephaestus. Um, and anyway, but leading up to that, like I think when people are having a lot of um, dreams that might involve sexual instinct, sexuality, whatever, it's helpful to like really put yourself in the perspective of each character of the dream. So I think it's really interesting with this one with yours, Sammy, because you're not even in the dream. Like this is all just like something you're watching, like a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like, you know, we've had plenty of conversations of what that could be, but I think especially with like sexual instinct, you know, related to the sexual instinct would be like you're still establishing that I and so that I is not present in a in a situation that's still happening in your psyche Mm -hmm. um so I think like the it's a good opportunity though to see where you are in each character so it's good to not like completely identify with one character or your own because now you can start to see like oh okay well who's this and where am I in that person and who's that and where am I in that person stuff like that so like you know I automatically think of like the woman in the dream that you'd want to identify with her probably and she's very like femme fatale you know and like the femme fatale is like a whole archetype on its own but like in sexuality it's very like the it's society's anima projection Mm -hmm. um it's like oh a woman can only like to find her sexually attractive she has to be like this mysterious sexy but also like does things that she obviously doesn't want to do so I like how you kind of get like her perspective and like what people are projecting onto her throughout the dream like I think that's kind of interesting um but yeah I, I think we'll get into like the I like the mentally challenged man. I think (laughs) I immediately see like the Hephaestus story who was a crippled God. Um, And since Kaisa, you read it, did you get the same thoughts that I like? Did you see it as well after reading Sammy's dream? Because I thought of it like immediately. And I don't know if maybe I'm just like wanting to draw lines where they shouldn't, but that's what I, did you see it too? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it now. Uh, 
but I, I didn't see it first because I wasn't that familiar with the Hephaestus, but yeah, it, it's, yeah, I can, I can see it. And it's especially sticking out to me in this dream, the way that the woman is like a, like an anima woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, she's operating solely, solely from the projected anima rather than, rather than establishing the, the sense of I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only defining herself through, like, in relation to to the men. Right. Yeah. Um, should I quick give like an overview, like I kind of did for, like, in the document about the Hephaestus story? That, like, should I give an overview and then we can talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be helpful. Okay. Um. So okay, I'm. I realized that I am consumed last and I never give like references to anything that I'm talking about. So today, everyone, if you'd like to know what I'm referencing, um, I have, this is from a book called The Principle of Individuation and it's by Murray Stein. It's a fantastic book. Um, it talks about like the individuation process. Um, he brings in a lot of myth. Um, he brings in like different aspects. Like he talks about the numinous that we had an episode on. And that was actually because I was reading this book during that. So um, he talks about the numinous. He talks about like a man's individuation versus a female. So it's still very like you know, stereotypical gender role kind of thing. But I, I mean, you can pull out so much from it, like just in general. So I really enjoyed it and it's very good. Um, but there's this one part where he talks about Hephaestus and um, how the theme of Hephaestus can be a common issue in people, people's individuation process. So like part of individuation is withdrawing your projections and how do you do that if you aren't quite sure what the projections are and that these really strong complexes like this really potent energy um, sources are something that you aren't like aware of is not you and not actually you individuating um so with Hephaestus and I found this interesting for the sexual instinct because it has a lot to do with creativity um, and it has a lot to do with the mother, which is what we've <laughs> been talking mm-hmm. about. Um, so long story short, cause I'm not going to read the whole thing obviously, but, um, Hephaestus was a crippled God born of Hera and Hera's, I'm going to do like the dumbest <laughs> explanation of this story, story. Um, Hera was like, ew, fuck you. You're disgusting and stuff. And he's like, what, what the hell? And um, he had this resentment for his mother. Uh, So even just looking at that, that like this man hated his own sexuality, hated who he was because his mother made him feel as if he was disgusting. Um, So he got so resentful of his mother that he put a lot of his energy into um, like kind of putting a curse on her and she got stuck on her on like a throne and um, 
this basically made chaos in Olympus. Like Hera, without being in her place, makes so much chaos for the gods. So everyone's all like, what the fuck? They found out it was Hephaestus who did it. And they decided to try and bribe him to get him to release her. And um, they he wanted um, Aphrodite. So I see the uh, Hephaestus character as the mentally challenged man in your dream. And Aphrodite would be like the woman because this woman kind of gets roped in. Aphrodite gets roped in and they marry, but they don't marry out of love. It's out of a bribe, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, so Aphrodite's going against her archetypal role of love. And Hephaestus is not actually feeling any kind of love. So he's kind of, you know, rejecting the mother image. I hate mom. I need something. <laughs> and so I'm going to project my anima onto this woman who is Aphrodite. And then I believe uh, after a while, obviously this marriage doesn't work out because <laughs> they hate each other essentially. And Aphrodite starts cheating on him with, I think it's Aries. Was it? Do you remember? Yeah, it, it, it is. It yeah. Aries. And Aries, I see as this other man that she has a relationship with um, in the dream. And because Aries, we all know, is like violent and angry and whatever. And that's kind of how that guy was in your dream. Um, the archetype of Aries isn't quite, but I kind of just thought that was an interesting uh, connection. But Hephaestus gets pissed and um, and he knows he finds out that it's going on. And then I think like, he cuts off the marriage. There's probably something in between I'm forgetting about. But then I think like Poseidon comes in and he decides to bribe him with just like money. Mm -hmm. um, and so he pays him off some kind of, you know, money, amount of money. And eventually Hephaestus gets more in touch with his creative energy. Um, this is when he like withdraws. He's by himself. He starts blacksmithing stuff like that and he finds a woman who i believe is one of the graces um and marries her out of love and they develop like a better relationship so your dream has more of a tragic ending um but i think it's kind of like you know obviously it's the dream world so we we have no idea if that if the mentally challenged man actually is dead or not he could come back but it's kind of showing in that process that it's being cut off. Like this energy isn't being resolved. Like maybe people are um, experiencing something emotional within themselves towards the end. Whereas the other parts of the dream, they're very cold and kind of just resentful. But um, the story of Hephaestus is that like, once he allows the creative energy to flow through him, the resentment of his mother can be let go of. Like mm -hmm. the energy gets transformed into something else. So Murray Stein in the rest of the book does talk about like, where is this energy in us? Um, is it actually being, is it towards love and is it towards creativity or is it like against our mothers or against, you know, our situations and he obviously says it a lot more beautifully than I will but I found it interesting too that um Hephaestus was associated with people in the trades quote-unquote um which like your dream has all of like the negative <laughs> the illegal trades mm -hmm. and bribes and stuff like that so I just um 
I found it all very interesting and connected. And then I wondered how um, in your, like the mother stuff keeps kind of coming up with you and your dreams and um, with this high school crush and stuff. So it's like, there's something moving in your psyche that's like, I don't know, making some kind of path that something to let go of. And I wondered if this dream kind of had that theme in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that about the the mother aspect in the in this myth. So that adds a whole new angle for me um, to look at. Wow, there's a lot yeah. there in that actually <laughs> that I like did not realize because, um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to like gather my thoughts. Yeah, that's fine. I blabbed a lot. Well, I'm trying. To- I would still like to talk about the mother aspect more with with uh, Hera and and her disgust to Hephaestus. Like for her, she was originally some kind of like greater goddess, but when she got married to Zeus, she was demoted, and Zeus was cheating on her, and mm-hmm. gave birth to a child from his head, Athena. And Athena is the kind of archetypal female that's operating through the masculine principle system. Like, only from the head, only from the ideal, and kind of in in a scholarly way or whatever, not in touch with the feminine. And it enrages Hera that he gave birth to a, a child without her, so... As a revenge, she then decides to uh, make children of her own. And Hephaestus is one of them. And she's like, she wanted to to have revenge. But when Hephaestus comes out as crippled, it's like, oh my fucking God, this this is like, God damn it. (laughs) Like, well, like, obviously that wasn't a very good revenge. Um. And other other children of hers, like Ares, um, they are kind of the, was it said in the book, uh, Murray Stein's book, that they are the kind of um, complexes mm-hmm. from the from the uh, bad mother, this kind of uh, god of war that, um, yeah, when Ares was first sent to retrieve Hephaestus back, after he chained Hera to the throne, um, he Ares tried it by force, didn't work. And then they called in Dionysus, I think what's what's like very important mm. in Oh yeah, they got him drunk. Life. Yeah. Yeah, he got him drunk. Mm-hmm. And how this relates to Sammy's dream, um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking, like the mother complex. Mother complex. It's like because that's a kind of collective kind of mother complex we are all dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you for explaining that because I yeah, uh, I knew I was I knew I was going to forget like important details when I would just blast about the story without like reading yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, those are important. I forgot that there's like, it's much more complicated. Like Zeus and Hera play such a big role. They are like the Mm. 
stereotypical mother, father, god, goddess, where like the the mother's being just kind of like crushed under Zeus's thumb. And it's like a weird dynamic that Hephaestus tries to intervene and defend his mother and ends up getting kicked out and because Zeus mm-hmm. is an asshole and whatever. Yeah, there's a lot more that, that went on there. So mm-hmm. so just to clarify, uh Hera has Hephaestus like by herself without mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and he said like he's he tries to like defend her at first but then grows to resent her or yeah because i think like she kind of um like the hera and zeus are both just kind of like really rageful figures mm-hmm. and so when hephaestus i guess like i i think like hera did treat him like with maternal care for a while but once Zeus was kind of more involved like there's just well first Hera throws him out of Olympus because of her disgust for him but then also when he came back like he got thrown out again because he was trying to defend her from Zeus being a dick and abusing her or something like that um so it's like he just overall feels like there's there's a building of resentment for his mother for several different reasons. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. That that angle is really interesting because like I don't we've never talked about this on the podcast, I think, but like with me and like my disconnect from um the nurturing complex, I think kind of stems in part from like my own like birth story where like I was born very premature and was like surviving on machines for a few months um and so it's like there's that thing of like you know my mom was very traumatized by this and taking care of me in the beginning was you know insane and her projections onto me because of that and it's like you know so it's like the part of myself that maybe still views myself in this like quote-unquote like crippled way um, who cannot connect with my mom yes uh, like, oh, it's oh my god <laughs> I got that machine mom <laughs> yeah coming together. give me the wires and the breathing tubes and all <laughs> that and the yeah <laughs> so well just... and it's so you know I read a bunch of um stuff with, obviously with Marion Woodman she talks a lot about uh women internalizing things and so there could be I mean I think it's more common than we think that it could be that you internalized that your mother's process of you being in a little machine for majority of like, you know, whether something was going on in, in the act of birth, you know, if there, I think there's even, isn't there like studies out there of like, you know, mother's stress levels, everything gets put into the baby, like during birth essentially. So like, it could be that like, whatever your mother was going. Yeah, not just during birth, but also during pregnancy because they are kind of connected, Mm -hmm. connected in, yeah, with their, what's the word again? Um, Baby. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) No. Connected with their baby. (laughs) Oh, with their blood flow, blood flow and stuff. Um, Yeah. 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 I think like if, I think, one of the processes that Marion Woodman has is um, 
working through what your parents have unconsciously put on you. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a common thing with Jungians saying that like parents will unconsciously project the unlived life on their child. I mean, that can look like so many different ways, but even just this subtle way of like, you know, if a, if a mother really has a lot of stress or if she has a lot of like, I didn't want this child and I'm bringing this into the world or something's wrong with this child and I'm bringing it into the world, like that's going to be unconsciously taken in by mm-hmm. the child. And so they will grow up thinking I don't belong here. They grow up thinking I'm, you know, I'm not deserving of love or something like that. And so then it's the child when they become an adult and they're still dealing with this, like it's the adult now that needs to let it go, like needs to, this isn't me. Like these aren't actually parts of me. This is part of my, my mother or my father, like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. That's so interesting. You know what happened during Chernobyl? Like women who were pregnant were kind of saved from the radiation and stuff because the the babies absorbed all of that and all the babies were born dead. Mm. So, and that's exactly what kind of psychological process is happening also with the, with all the, because we kind of are born, uh, and inherit the kind of death wish from from our mm-hmm. parents. It becomes an unconscious death wish. The yeah. unlived life. Mm-hmm. Parents. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. That's that's bringing up so much. Like, one thing I'll say is like for me, like this unlived life was just the time spent that should have been spent in the womb, and so mm-hmm. to grow up like very overly protected and very coddled and very overly concerned, and it's just you know, trying to, and then me to like, just, you know, be this very like withdrawn person who had trouble like existing outside of any comfort space. And, you know, um, you yeah, know, uh, I don't that somehow, but yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. Just that we didn't talk about this on the pod yet, I think, but like, so some, Sammy, when she was born prematurely, she was put in a machine and she keeps having dreams of machine mom like a <laughs> m- mom with a machine body giving birth to a spider or like people stuck inside of machine bodies mm-hmm. and that's that's <laughs> literally your birth <laughs> yeah, yeah that's like insane yeah. and one thing i'll say too is like when i was born uh it was like an emergency c section so they had like you know injected my mom with a drug to pass her out and they put so much of the drug in her that like the drug traveled down to me. So when I was born, I came out like sedated. So I didn't even oh my God. cry or scream or anything like that. It was just. <laughs> Your I just screen just had a thumbs down. Sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm doing that. That's funny. That is a big thumbs down. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get to have my, you know. Your scream. Error. Yeah. I, being alive i just it was like straight to the machine you're giant i am that's what the baby scream is representing i'm here i'm alive and now it's all happening like psychically internally (laughs) i can't let it out (laughs) well and that's why i i think you know because myths mythology is alive in people's psyches whether you're aware of it or not and this is like 
representative of your personal mythology? Like, I'm wondering, because as you speak, I'm wondering if it's like a good thing that the crippled man slash Hephaestus character in your dream died because it could be this like the over the the unconscious identification with like there is something inherently wrong with me which I also think is very forefixed too yeah um Mm -hmm. like there's something just fucking wrong with me that from birth that I think like my DNA is broken or something like that. right that I'm wondering if him dying is like Yes, he. This is a character that's not meant to be a part of who you are, mm-hmm. and a part of your sense of I. Like that's something unconsciously carried, not something conscious of of who you really are. So in that sense, yeah, it is. And when he's dying, he's talking about like remember who you are, remember. Yeah. And it's like maybe that's like a clue too, because he's he's saying this to the man who's trying to clean up the mess, you know, who who yes. had that role, and it's like. Because I remember like in the dream, I couldn't remember like what he was saying, but it was something about remembering. As mm-hmm. he dies, he's like, remember, this is not who you are. <gasps> I am not who you are, Sammy. Remember, you are. this is not the story you need anymore. Yes. And he's wow. got shot in the neck, like where the throat chakra is. So it's like, this is not going to get communicated to me anymore. This is. Right. And it's actually like, this is what's preventing you from really expressing yourself like that mm-hmm. throat chakra. And that's area. also like expression, you know, mm-hmm. identity, heart fixed stuff. And it's happening like in the church. And it's just, you know, there's a lot there. So that I can see that. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's why then too, I mean, even if he in the dream is really like, it's a good but not, you know it's not positive or negative but it's it's happening that he's dying like he's yeah. um you're still left with the two other figures so these are still two figures that are um active like the projection of the you know the projected anima the femme fatale and the aries like man of um like I, I think it's still important to see where they are still active, even without this Hephaestus character. Um where that that energy will go. Can it be more creative and less, mm-hmm. you know, of a like stereo? Yeah, yeah, yeah a, less of a complex, that kind of thing. Um yeah, but yeah, the, that the woman in the dream was just a full-blown like bimbo stereotype like just wearing (laughs) like you know super cropped like clothes and like she was just you know she was kind of like who did she remind she reminded me of like a harley quinn Mm -hmm. type of character Mm -hmm. in her demeanor yeah she was like kind of casual about her like sexuality but just just by staring at someone she could like you know make them feel you know all this desire but she was like kind of reckless but not really and full of contradictions it's yeah, it kind of seems like the complexes that are really, um, like the archetypes are underneath them. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of Aphrodite, like her beauty is just by like existing. Like that is what beauty is. She doesn't have to be a bimbo to, <laughs> to get, <laughs> to, like she's all about love. Like not not just sexual appeal, but she's about the beauty of like love and not like I love you love but like 
embodied love and embodied mm-hmm. beauty. So like there is an archetype probably underneath that woman. And then with the Aries man, like the archetype of Aries is not actually like <laughs> Kyle kind of energy of like <laughs> doing illegal activities and punching walls and shit. Like it's very like there's a strength that Aries, like, you know, as the astrological symbol is the I am as well. Like it is the, mm. the first yeah. of the astrological symbols. So it's this big, like poof, wow. energy. Yeah. So there, it could be that there are complexes then left, you know, layering the, the actual archetypes. And so it's trying, maybe the creative energy wants to just express these archetypes rather than get caught in these complexes after Hephaestus dies yeah yeah like thinking about the that man in my dream again too he it felt like in the dream he was driven by like a lot of self-prez desires like I think I remember like the whole reason he wanted to steal was you know so he could like survive he was like the brains of the operation trying to you know, get them to survive and make do because they might have been really poor or something. And, um, you know, so in, in my mind, like in my psyche, he's like, oh, he's like the smart one. He's the one who's like, you know, <laughs> like he's the mm. idealized guy who's like saving everyone and, you know, to, mm. to get the, the self-pres needs met. Um, so I oh, that's the really like the masculine provider archetype. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very polarized. Then too, mm-hmm. it's very like stereotypically polarized. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to say a bit more too about the story, because Kai says since you read it, I don't know if you want to add oh, yeah. um, anything. But I just really loved how like there's just how much these complexes are keeping us from expressing ourselves and that's why I really like your your throat chakra really does come up a lot in your dreams and so like him being shot Mm -hmm. in it it's just like so potent of like you know this really these kinds of things do really block your expression like your authentic expression Mm -hmm. Um, and dreams can really show like where things are being blocked it's you know medicinal in that kind of way So he talks about, um, Murray Stein talks about like, if there's really strong energy and we kind of noted at this in the last podcast, like if there's really, really strong energy, like that wants to go somewhere, it's just where are you, is the ego thinking it needs to go? And that's usually where like the complex is. Um, so when he talks about like us kind of unconsciously resenting our mothers, (laughs) which is totally true for everybody. Like you will unconsciously resent your mother um, and yet simultaneously want her nurturing. And that's why like in relationships, and I thought about this too with your previous dream, Sammy, of like how equal your high school crush and your mom were of washing things up. Like they they were doing the same thing. So it's like these energies are doing this at like there is mother and then there's like the mothering of... (laughs) that you get from like kind of like the obsession, like that's nurturing you in some kind of way that like the dreams showing you that they're kind of standing on equal footing in that sense. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but I mean, that's what everyone's doing. Yeah. I know it's disgusting, but so gross. <laughs> but that that's what people are doing. Like you really do unconsciously want mothering from another person, um, even friends and groups and whatever. And so it's like, where can you really have that sense of mothering for yourself? Like you are like mm-hmm. a archetypal mother somewhere inside of you. So why is that being rejected? Like, why are you pushing that out? And could it be because of the relationship with your own mom? Like in this case, it it's very like evident on your literal birth, but also your mom's like a fucking opposite of who you are. So I can imagine oh, yeah. growing up with your type structure being like, uh-uh, like I'm not, <laughs> that is not me. That is not what I want. That is not how I should be treated. There's no mirroring. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Triple hexad, assertive type. And it's, yeah. Right. But that, and you're in, you're internalizing that growing up, like whether it be something like, oh, hell no. Something with me. It's like, cause I couldn't get the mirroring I needed from her because she, you know, probably just could not see me in a lot of ways. And so it's like, oh, there's just something with me, you know, Mm-hmm. No, I I'll just live in my room forever and like you know that's my nurturing that's my womb my un- mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah right and um, um but oh go ahead yeah and this like this Hephaestus uh character the mentally challenged guy it's like Hephaestus was operating a big part of his life solely from uh reacting negatively to the negative mother complex mm-hmm. and like that was so much like his life force was directed there it was sucking out of his expression so i think it could be like meaningful to have that energy within you die yeah mm-hmm. and, like what what can you kind of plant that could grow your expression aside from that like negative reaction to the mother complex like your mm-hmm. actual nurturance for yourself I appreciate that is that. That's a yeah good, that is so that's a really true good way to look at it and because I didn't know that in the story um eventually Hephaestus like you know he does end up like you know growing and like moving on like once he really hones his own creativity and um you know his like withdrawing you said was really done like in service of like his own individuation whereas my withdrawing was previously done just as a negative reaction to the nurturing function and um so I, I think just like knowing that about the story too will be important for me um because I, I didn't know that uh, so that's a that's a good thing to remember right and I think like um it's a really good uh reminder too that you brought up Kaisa with your life force like that's kind of what, you know, Freud has libido as like a sexual very thing. Very low. Sorry, something just spoke to me in my house. Did you hear that? <laughs> I did. Okay. Oh, what's that? <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> it's a speaker that I was using and I didn't turn it off. And it just said battery is very low. <laughs> okay, hold on. Turn off. Okay. 
sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> nice. that was weird. Um, yeah, so Freud had like libido as like the sexual libido. Um, like he thought that's where people's like energy was. I don't, I'm going to do a terrible job at explaining it. And, um, but Jung thought libido was like just life force in general. Um, that kind of involved all of the instincts and not just sexual instinct, um, which is, I'm not going to go into it, but why they split up as people is Jung was like, no, it's not just sexual. And Freud's like, no, but it is. And they're like, ah, fuck, fuck you. And then <laughs> broke up. Um, <laughs> I might've explained that before, but I don't remember. Um, but like that, you know, so many people's life force is going into things that are just complexes and not actually like what they want to be doing in life. Like, and that's the, like, and that's the thing, like, how do you really know what you want to be doing in life if you're not in touch with that life force? So I think that's a really good word that we haven't even, I think, used yet in sexual instinct that people should be aware of. Um, um, I was looking if you guys I don't know if you had any other ideas I was looking to maybe read a part of the book but I'm quick skimming some things one that would be relevant to what we're talking about that would be great yeah go ahead let me skim come on you know I just found a random sentence uh, about like towards the beginning where they're talking about Hephaestus he mm-hmm, is a wounded mm-hmm. and marginalized child in a family where the brutal clash of opposing wills between his parents is chronic and unresolved. <laughs> Sounds like Sammy's household. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, hey. Okay, here we go. So one of the important parts of the Dionysus part, which I just didn't even mention, but thank you, Kaisa, for reminding me. Always that- bringing in the six. Yeah. <laughs> Sexual, social, drunk. Right. Well, yeah, because Dionysus is the one who um, offers, like, he gets Hephaestus drunk um, to get him to stop being so angry for a little bit. (laughs) So I like this part. It says the therapy of Dionysus, which loosened the knot of anger and resentment against his mother, also had the effect of allowing the influence of the sexual instinct, and in parentheses, a true instinct to have some play in the psychic system. Having put aside his rage at his mother to some extent, he can come of age sexually and be attracted to the feminine in a new way. Previously, his exposure to the feminine came in the form of the maternal, negative, Hera, and positive, Thetis and Eunomi. Sorry, I'm not going to pronounce that right. (laughs) Those were his, um, like, nursemaids that helped raise him when he was kicked out of Olympus, by the way. Um, In Aphrodite, the voluptuous anima and embodiment of beauty is constellated, a feminine figure that can bring about the possibility of a new development. This union between Hephaestus, the angry son of a resentful mother in a patriarchal culture, and Aphrodite, the most resplendent example of the ancient proud love goddesses represents the beginning of a reconciliation of the opposites that are otherwise so conflicted in figures like Zeus and Hera. Um, So he talks about then about that being a very unstable union, but it's just, again, like, you know, people still need to realize that there's a union that can be made. 
Um, one of the things I really liked about this book, he explains the separation and the like union that constantly happens in individuation. Um, so he calls it the separatio and the conjunctio, which are like the best sounding words ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that process is constant in individuation. Like you will separate. So like in this case, you're trying to separate from your mother. You're trying to like, but you're separating from the complex. So we constantly separate and we constantly make complexes. Like that is our psychological suffering basically and development is just separate, separate, separate. Where am I here? Where am I there? Where am I not there? Blah, blah, blah. And in individuation, it's like bumping into those projections. So bumping into those complexes and um, seeing like how you are separate and how you separated yourself somewhere in the psychological development. And then the conjunctio, the coming together, the union is realizing like, oh, wait, no, I do have that part of me. It's just not the complex. It's the archetype within the complex. So if you're trying to separate from your mother and you're like, fuck you, mom, fuck you, mom, one day it would be helpful to realize that it's not your actual mother um, it is the archetype of the mother and then to unionize with that archetype again inside of you rather than pushing it outside of you. So this is a constant process with every little thing. And I've just noticed within the past um, two weeks of my dreaming, and you guys have seen as well, all of the reunions I've been having in my dreams and realizing like, holy shit, the amount that you separate, like just in like you cut off pieces of yourself and you push them away when something bad happened in life. And one day you like reunite with that part of yourself, not even realizing that you've been so fucking grumpy and <laughs> like pissy because you, you've been carrying around this pain essentially. And all it takes is just reuniting with the part of yourself that was like once excited mm -hmm. or happy or wanting love or something like that. Like, damn, like there's a lot, a lot. Again, we're complex mm -hmm. people. Um, so I think that too, I really appreciated his descriptions of that. And I think that's kind of what we're figuring out with um, dream work and doing the instincts and stuff is like, wow, we have separated and cut off a lot of pieces of ourselves, And we have to call back the authentic parts, not the ones that are just clouded in this complex or these complexes. It's as if like sexual types, um, because they really tend to uh, repeat this kind of familial complexes and dynamics. And <clears throat> it's Dionysus who brings Hephaestus back to meet, meet, um, Hera, the mother complex, and also me meet the anima. Um, mm -hmm. So it's as if like sexual types are just constantly trying to solve this by getting drunk. It's <laughs> true, this, yeah. With, yeah. And like Dionysus is a, um, and wine, you know, like the archetype of that stuff is very feminine. Um, mm. So there's like yeah. a feminine he came. He came riding with a mule. Mule is like, kind of the um archetypal the, the kind of instinct mm -hmm. the instinctual side the feminine 
oh, here I'll read the last paragraph because that kind of talk like sums up what we're talking about. Um, it says, in the midst of this is the Hephaestian ego, wounded, crippled by low self-esteem, angry and resentful, finding it difficult, if not impossible, to connect to his deeper individuation impulses. He must confront mother and father and separate from these complexes and their derivatives, separatio in parentheses, if he is to come into his own and to find his way to a genuine and stable contact, in parentheses, conjunctio, with the true instincts and the individuating guidance of the deeper layers of the unconscious. The beautiful, beautiful thing about Hephaestus is that when he does this work, he comes to represent the deepest creative instinct among the Olympians, for among the gods, he is surely one of the most inventive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah actually when i was reading this um it was said in the beginning that hephaestus is one of the most relatable gods because he's Im imperfect mm -hmm. yeah. but my reaction was that, like i can't relate to anything imperfect <laughs> like why would i i have such a strong identification with like the negative mother complex or like the just masculine idea of of perfection that i can't relate to being human and like I'm discarding the parts of myself just like Hera does like you are not perfect get sent to some whatever shithole like that's kind of what I'm doing and like uh yeah I think this was another wake-up call to to like reflect on this and try to accept my my humanness you know in a human way <laughs> in a way I don't we should do oh my god next up next in the series is kaisa and her perfection mythology we should i mean like i, I think it's so interesting because that's like i know social in the realm of the gods and goddesses like according to david um and so that that makes a lot of sense but that's so interesting because i yeah i i want to like dive deeper into into kaisa's God, goddess. That's why Kaisa keeps <laughs> keeps going into dirty, backed up bathrooms in her dreams. <laughs> you are not yeah. perfect. Clean the toilet. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Except, um, was it yesterday or it might have been yesterday? A couple of days ago, finally, I had one dream where the toilet was not clogged. It was a public toilet with stalls, and there was this kind of ivy plant that was eating and consuming people. And I went to the bathroom, but didn't eat me. I had I had sex with the plant. <laughs> there were beautiful flowers. <laughs> I think there's just like a there's finally some kind of medium between me and the the unconscious moments. Like it's not clogged anymore anymore pathway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't even know how to interpret. I think I thought about it for a little bit today when I read it. I was like, mm, I don't know about that though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I have no fucking idea what it could mean. It's, it's like a, it's like objectifying nature. That's what I think of it. With it, it's like there's still com some kind of objectification of nature, oh, which man. is like, that's yeah, weird. which is like not, and that's. Nature. That still comes to the like because nature is the feminine, and mm. 
once again, it's objectifying. It's through the anima projection and whatever. It's... <laughs> Man, I thought I really had it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. That's so interesting because I, I didn't think of it in that way, like literally like objectifying nature mm-hmm. and then like having sex with. Yeah. Wow. But that that's what happens when when there's this kind of uh, coming from the perfect ideal and everything is like an like an object mm-hmm. that is constantly referenced to the world of an of, of ideal yeah. mm-hmm. of, of the heaven or something. I think I think we should totally do like a like a I think we're we should definitely do like a mythology kind of segue into like the mythology of the sexual instinct and stuff like that. Mm-hmm.